0: And welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host and the podfather of your favorite hebdominal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with us. I'd be thrown into toxicosis if you poisoned me with the idea that you missed this week's show. Kate, give us the highlights, please.
1: Okay, Tony, we have a post-fellowship conversation with Amy Sample Ward. What did they do over their Bosch Foundation Fellowship? Who did they meet? And what did they talk about for three months abroad? For a tease, how tech could save an island nation and the future of the internet? Trivial topics like that. Amy is our technology contributor. And the CEO of N10. On Tony's take two.
0: Fair share. That's fair.
1: We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity. DonorBox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit. DonorBox.org. And by Kila. Grow revenue. Engage donors and increase efficiency with Kela, the fundraiser CRM. Visit Kela.co to join the thousands of fundraisers using Kela to exceed their goals. Here is a post-fellowship conversation with Amy Sample Ward.
0: It is a pleasure to welcome back Amy Sample Ward to Nonprofit Radio. They are the CEO of N10 and our technology and social media contributor. Their most recent co-authored book, and frankly, I think another one is due shortly, uh, is The Tech That Comes Next, about equity and inclusiveness in technology development. They're at amysampleward.org and at amyrsward.
2: Welcome back, Amy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat about so many things today.
0: Yeah, it's a genuine pleasure because it's been several months because you were on this uh, highfalutin fellowship,
2: <laughs>
0: Bosch, the Bosch Fellowship, the Dishwasher Company Fellowship, which is so much more than uh, dishwashers, of course, and vacuum yes. cleaners. So you were in the Bosch Foundation Fellowship abroad based in Berlin. Catch us up from there. What, is, sure. what, is so, what does it look like for a summer?
2: Totally. The Bosch Foundation is the shareholders of the Bosch company. So I think fewer foundations and companies have this model in the US, but maybe more common in, in Europe, where there is a commercial company. And instead of having lots of shareholders and publicly traded stocks, the foundation is the owner. And the foundation is a grant making organization, they provide grants for all kinds of, you know, nonprofits all, all around the world, actually, and one of their programs is called the Bosch Academy where they have uh for nine years now um, a fellowship program that brings folks from truly all different industries and sectors to berlin for a period of time i was only there for three months but other folks are there for six nine plus months uh to really i mean i couldn't believe it even up until the last day i was waiting for them to say and here's what you have to deliver there was nothing. You're really there to pursue opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have, kind of the mental space to do in your day to day, you know, work. Um, so I was there for three months, and all the fellows are on their own timeline. So it, it was a little bit confusing because I think maybe at least in the US when i think of a fellowship i think it's like a cohort of people we're all doing like a program together yeah. that it, it's much more of what we would call a residency so people are on their own timelines there's no overarching programming uh, everyone is and i think it would be hard to do that because people really are from very diverse um backgrounds so while i was there as a fellow some of my other other fellow fellows. Um, you know, there was a GP from England who works in the NHS and had been leading their um, digital health work. There was a former president um, of Costa Rica. There was um, someone from the State Department that now works at Brookings, um, researching industrialization but, you know, so there were people from all all different backgrounds and interest areas and specialties and i would say the main kind of anchor that that we did have together was twice a week we all had lunch together which feels like okay you just have you know lunch together but really opportunities to sit at a you know a table that's small enough you really could have a conversation with everyone you know 10 or fewer people over lunch to talk about things with people who are working all different industries. It's just not something we normally have the privilege and opportunity to do, nor do I think we actively create those opportunities very much for ourselves, you know, and the, the kind of twice a week getting to sit together, share a meal, talk about what is interesting to us. Um, they often brought in speakers. So, um, You know, maybe it's a journalist from one of the newspapers who's coming in and sharing, you know, trends they're seeing um, in certain whatever that, you know, in the political section or or whatever topic. Maybe it's um, folks from EU or German policy uh, houses sharing, okay, these are policies we're recommending, you know, all different opportunities just to learn and like sit together in conversation. So it was really powerful.
0: Former president of Costa Rica, what what is he or she looking into?
2: So the fellow um, that was there with me, that's the former uh, president of Costa Rica, Carlos Alvarado, was um, pursuing now um, is a teacher at the Fletcher School, and his fellowship was focused on uh, designing a new framework for diplomacy that would support folks entering into this world of of policy and politics with a mindset on collective wins and kind of personal integrity and that each of our stories do matter and influence how we can build relationship to make more inclusive and hopefully better for our planet and our people policies um so Really thinking about, you know, how do we teach people to to be in this in, in politics in ways that don't just recycle and repurpose the same kind of oppressive systems that that got us to today. Very lofty. All right. Yes. And of course, we're yes. going to talk
0: about what Amy Sample Ward was thinking <laughs> about, investigating, talking to people. It all sounds. It's, it all sounds very freeing.
2: It was uh, incredibly freeing, yeah. and honestly, because it was in Berlin and I normally live out in Portland, Oregon, h- having nine hours difference uh, also was freeing in my calendar. I went from having you know my days are eight to four scheduled meetings to there's a lunch <laughs> and then you know maybe I've got an early morning Pacific time check in with a staff person and. That was it for what was scheduled, you know, really being able to have the, the freedom in your scheduled day to to think and do work and do work and think in the ways that you want to was a huge gift.
0: Uh, and you, so you took uh, time off from work right you you reduced to 50% I reduced, that...
2: yeah i reduced my hours but i didn't fully step out so right. that okay. there wasn't also like an administrative burden to change all of our processes or you know i could still run payroll i you know those t- types of things
0: and uh, is this fellowship a paying gig do they you, they, you do, do they give get you a, a place stipend to get a stipend
2: no they don't um
0: place to live I,
2: they don't give you the place. I mean, they give you the stipend so that you can cover the cost of having okay. somewhere and they can help you find a place. But, um, you know, there were folks there who are single and don't have children. And then we were there as a whole family with a child. You know, so everybody has such different needs with their housing that they, they just support you finding what works for you.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, And you and uh, your husband, Max, uh, daughter, Oren, did you, you traveled? I'm sure you're in Europe.
2: Yeah. You
0: must've traveled. Yeah,
2: we actually, we. Well, well, I know
0: you were in, I know you were in uh, Warsaw, Poland. Yeah. Because we got you for the 650th show from Warsaw.
2: Yes, we did spend some time in Warsaw um, doing uh, some project collaboration work there. um, And then they got to experience Warsaw where I'd been before, but they hadn't. And then uh, the other trip. That we took was to take Oren back to England where we used to live and show her around London, um, go, you know, she got to see some proper castles. That's really what she wanted. Um, and all the fellows uh, and Max and Orin went on a trip down to Stuttgart, which is the, the home of Bosch uh, as a company and uh, history. And that's also where the Bosch affiliated hospital is and um, got to see so many other parts. It's certainly the first factory floor that i walked walked uh, and got to see, you know, this mix of, of kind of classic industry, you know, building these things in a, in a building altogether, mixed in with more of the recent tech innovations of, you know, a little robot that, delivered you the parts that you needed to inspect. Um, and if you got in the way, the robot would stop, but then get very frustrated that you were never getting out of the robot's way for it to go deliver its parts, you know, um, things like that. So it was a really cool experience and getting to see really so many other sides to the world that, you know, I I, I get stuck in my nonprofit space and, and think about our work. Um, so it was really cool.
0: That's the freeing, the, the yeah. freeing, uh, uh, a luxury for yes. three months. You said, yeah, yes. you were there three months. All right. So uh, what what were you uh, investigating, thinking about? I'm sure you had meetings, you were talking to people.
2: Yes. What, so many meetings, uh, so yeah. many conversations. But my focus yeah. Yeah. really, and, you know, of course, I'm just interested in general, meeting with folks who are trying to make the world better and, you know, I had lots of conversations or questions with folks to say, you know, what are you trying and what's working? What did you try that didn't work? Like, how do, we ju- how do we get traction? How do we succeed in making the world better? Of course. But the start of all of my conversations and my meetings with folks was this kind of one, I know you're going to say lofty, but one big question, which was, what does an Internet that is actually built on safety... And freedom and sovereignty look like, and can we build it? And there were a lot of people <laughs> who, you know, didn't think it is possible um, mm. that 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 those, you know, true freedom and true safety and true sovereignty couldn't all be achieved. Like they they couldn't all three um, be at the same time. Or that a uh, better internet wasn't possible. Um, but there also were people who were like, yes, it is possible and we can build it. And please can we start yesterday? You know?
0: All right. um, so I got my first interruption. So the uh the, the folks who say no, it, it, it can't be done. Do they feel that we missed the the opportunity to have built the internet that you described? Or is it more that it was never Achievable, not that we not that we went about it or allowed it to develop on its own in in the wrong way or unobstructed.
2: I think that honestly, the folks who had the most pushback um, in my conversations were folks who were honestly pushing back on my view of the internet. Now, you know, saying, "Oh, oh, it already is safe. It already is Mm -hmm. free, right?" Um, And so it was less that internet isn't possible and more like discrediting the place from which the conversation, the question is being asked, you know, um, and that we can, we can make a few policies and like, voila, we're, we're good. You know, the internet's good as it is. Um, and there were also a lot of folks who felt that my focus on those three aspects was maybe the issue for them that, that safety, everybody agreed. Yes, the internet should be safe. Um, Not as many people agreed it should be free. And I don't mean free by cost to access it. But like, what does freedom for each of us look like online? Uh And I think that's where folks had a little bit of like, but what does that mean? And and can it be safe if it's free, right? Which are important conversations, but I, I think, yes, it can be. Um, but a lot of folks felt like sovereignty and these conversations about how do we acknowledge and establish sovereignty as communities was me saying it's all anarchy, nothing matters, you know, there there are no rules. Which is really honestly the opposite of sovereignty. Sovereignty is saying, I want you to acknowledge that I have rules because my community has said, this is what keeps us free and safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever. Um, and that the view is that's the role of government. But I think honestly, and I'm not trying to like take this down a, a deep rabbit hole, but I really don't think that a structure for something like a global system of the internet where we are all interacting all over the world, you know, regardless of which country's government we we may live under, isn't enough to say that the internet could be free and safe and supportive and, you know, successful in all these ways, because all these governments have issues with each other. And like, the, you know, there's communities within a country that are different from each other. Um and there, there, I think, should be paths to be able to say this is what this is what's right for our community. Um, and again, I'm not trying to like devolve everything down into, into chaos, but I also don't think I could accept the notion that what we have today is working. Um, so I'm I'm mostly saying it has to be something else and not that I have all the answers. Oh my gosh, if I had all the answers, what am I doing sitting over here holding on to them? You know, like. But but we need to have the open space to find those answers or create those answers together and say, what could it be like versus saying, this is good enough, let's put a policy that says, you know, don't don't take it or something, and, and that's it.
1: It's time for a break. Donor box quote. Donor box text to give led one of our more successful fundraising events, a concert. Sharing the keyword, shortcode, and scannable QR code made giving easy for our supporters. And they did give! That's from Josh Young, Executive Director of Hydrating Humanity. DonorBox. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Now back to a post-fellowship conversation with Amy Sample Ward.
0: Who were some of the folks that you were talking to?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, it was really a why I felt really interested in making sure I was talking to a lot of different folks because, as you know, even the N ten community has, you know, all different kinds of nonprofits, missions. Yeah, of course. People of all different departments in an organization, but also consultants and tech companies and foundations and you know all these different folks. So I was meeting with, of course, nonprofits um, themselves, folks who see themselves in kind of a nonprofit technology vein, but also folks who are focused on um, supporting refugees and connecting them with jobs, and they kind of see that technology has to be part of that, right? Um, But then I was also meeting with think tanks and foundations and folks who are, you know, kind of advocating or, or resourcing the movement around the internet and on other sides, you know, whether that's giving money or, or talking to policymakers and government. Um, So really talk to folks all across that spectrum and folks in Berlin, folks in Germany and folks more broadly in the EU. All
0: right. Um, I think before we, we talk about some of the folks who said, you know, let's achieve this, Ideal internet, and you know, you said let's start yesterday. <laughs> what, you, you, I think it's valuable for you to summarize where you're coming from. What's what's your sense of uh, of our internet, our technology space, and and you know, it's uh, it's utility for for nonprofits.
2: Yeah, I think that I believe all technology, including the internet, should be something that every person, regardless of where they live or whether or not they have a job or how much money they have, or, you know, what their interests are, can find a a, a way um, to be included there, whether they want to help create part of the internet or watch cat videos, you know, whatever they want, that this is really a, this is really something that is for everyone. And I think a big challenge with that today is um, lack the lack of certain policies that make it accessible and affordable and available. You know, yeah. To I was all say, I mean, let, let's, you know,
0: let's just start with accessibility. Right. There are, there are um, pockets of the world, and certainly of the United States, where the internet is not taken for granted.
2: Right. I mean, there's more than 45 million people in the U.S. who couldn't even have sufficient broadband internet to like be on the zoom call with us right now you know so the idea that um and i'm not saying this is your idea but i i do see out in the media this perception that it's like other far away places that don't have the internet we don't have the internet all over the u.s too you know um and even the pandemic has not accelerated real work to address that you know um but there's also the piece of commercialization around the internet. I think that has, of course, come from a lack of policies that that made it so that that couldn't be the case. And the fact that, of course, commercial companies are the largest lobbyists. And so they are able to make sure that the policies continue to work for them. But, you know, the number of folks who think the internet is Facebook and don't leave Facebook and that, because that's all that they know That means, again, they don't really see how they are part of shaping or making or engaging in in this global resource we have, but also are a victim of of what that commercialization means, the bubble that Facebook has created, all of the, you know, algorithmic bias and hate that comes from that. Um, So finding ways where both from the actual access point, like, communities could own their own networks and have the the jobs and the profits from managing that all the way up to lots more people creating those apps or those tools. You know, I, I don't think we need to build an internet where every single person in the world would ever use the same app, because not every single person in the world needs the same app. Not everyone has the same phone, not everyone has the same computer, you know, like, we don't need to say that success in technology is when every single person is using it it's just when every person that it's right for is using it you know and um building tools or online resources or websites or whatever else that that aren't viewed as like scale to the x forever and just oh great we succeeded everyone that needs this tool is using it you know and and that's good um but that's really not again because of the commercialization of so much of the web. That's not how it's how it works right now. That's not the incentive. Yeah, the, the
0: commercialization, the access issues, the the cost issues.
2: Yes, uh, there.
0: I think probably a, a lot of or all of nonprofit radios listeners. You know, we we probably take the internet for granted. You wake up in the morning, you click in, and it's there right um and your technology is at your at your bedside when you wake up, although Beth Cantor would tell you that it should not be you should it, not should, have not
2: yes. <laughs> it should not be yes not
0: be, but the reality is it, it's if it's not at your bedside it's uh it's in the ne- just the next room over it's very close yeah <laughs> and you know so and it it works ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time exactly uh I had someone in uh my th- my plan giving accelerator course he is uh is in based in Malawi. He oh, didn't wow. even have stable electricity every night. Right for, for him, our meetings were at nighttime. Yeah, um, three o'clock Eastern was nine or ten o'clock. I think it was nine o'clock nine p.m. for him in Africa Standard Time. He didn't even have reliable electricity each mm-hmm. night. Right. Let alone reliable internet.
2: Um, right. And I think sometimes okay. there's this misperception. Again, not saying that th- this is your misperception, but um, more broadly that folks that aren't online don't don't know things right there's so much that um we assume about folks who are not online and it isn't that they don't still know the news or that they still don't you know that or that they don't want to be online it's just that there are so many other barriers in the way um that are structural not you know they've never heard of the internet and they don't know what it is. Yeah, um, yeah. And so access isn't just saying like, Oh yeah, well, there was a, you know, we saw this in the pandemic um, in the first you know year, especially like, Oh, well we know all these kids aren't in school and all these people need the internet. So we put up a, a Wi-Fi signal in this field. You can just drive over. Oh, and we're just going to sit in our car for four hours and yeah work and try to do school. Like, what are you, what, how is this a solution? You know? Um, So there's, there's so much that goes into that. And always remembering that folks who aren't online aren't unaware. They're just experiencing a bunch of barriers that they didn't create.
0: Yeah. it, It creates frustration. Yeah. Frustration and anxiety because they're left behind they know they're left behind. They can't access what, what they know is available to lots of right. other people. All right. Let's, let's bring it back to, uh, yeah. uh, Germany, Berlin. Yes. So you met with lots of folks who said, you know, yes, we can achieve <laughs> this, this, uh, more equitable, more accessible, yeah. um, safer, uh, uh, internet. Um, what, what do they, I don't know what what do they want to do? How, are you gonna Are you coming back with a bunch of partners that you're gonna start <laughs> lobbying and and <laughs> policy papers? Yeah, I think what, I think happen? we
2: definitely were able to um, build stronger relationships with organizations we maybe knew or even tangentially knew um, because N ten is an, a global organization. There are folks from all over the world that are already in the community, but just the value of actually showing up at their office and sitting down for an hour, you know, really goes a long way in in building trust and relationship. Um, But I think the other piece was having the energy that comes from conversations where people are not disagreeing with the premise of which we're even trying to talk about, but saying like, yeah, we are, no, we already agree. Like, let's get to this part. And really validating for folks. No, you're not the only one. Like I'm from this community that you're welcome to be part of, or maybe you are, you know, know about, but there's this whole N10 community of people who also think an internet like this is possible and also want to build it. You know, you are not alone trying to like work in your tiny corner and and find a way. Right. And whatever corner you're in, is needed. We don't all have to do the same thing. We shouldn't all do the same thing, right? Like you, if, if policy is your thing, go, go work on that. If, you know, supporting refugees, transitioning into jobs is your thing, go do that. You know, like wherever you are in the work is the right place to be. Um, Mm. And so those were really, I think, validating and generative conversations, especially for folks who felt like, they were being told there was only one way to do this work. Um, And, you know, the only policy recommendations we want are policies that, you know, address AI, for example, lots of AI conversation this summer in the US and, and everywhere else in the world, you know, and I kept saying, but there might be applications of technology that are specific to what they think AI is today, but wouldn't it be better to write policy about any way that data was being used from, you know, a, a person or uh where what what accountability looks like for when there is harm? I don't care if they used it in an AI garbage machine or they used it in my health records. I I should get to have the control, right? So helping folks reframe that. It doesn't have to only be a single issue or a single topic like that, that it's all connected. It is all related. All of this technology work is connected. And whatever piece you can work on, please go
1: do it as well as you can, <laughs> you know. It's time for a break. Kila. Increase donations and foster collaborative teamwork with Kela, the fundraiser CRM maximize your team's productivity, and spend more time building strong connections with donors through features that were built specifically for fundraisers. A fundraiser CRM goes beyond a data management platform. It's designed with the unique needs of fundraisers in mind and aims to unify fundraising, communications, and donor management tools into one single source of truth. Visit Kilo.co to sign up for a coming group demo and explore how to exceed your fundraising goals like never before. It's time for Tony's take two.
0: Thank you, Kate. Share, share. That's fair. Who can you share nonprofit radio with? I'd be grateful if you would give it some thought. Maybe it's someone you work with, somebody, a, a colleague, a peer, somebody you work for, your vice president your CEO, perhaps your board. I have gotten, I've gotten uh, emails through the years that we stimulated a board conversation or I shared this show with my board and we were going to talk about it at the next meeting. You know, friends in nonprofits, people you used to work with, assuming you don't hate them still, you know, if if they they fired you, you're probably not going to share this fabulous show with them. So, all right, so that's out. If they fired you, you, let that go. Uh, maybe the job before that the, the job you didn't get fired from I hope that you haven't been fired you know you haven't been fired that much um nonprofit radios exemplary listeners so never fired right but if and the off chance all right so you're not going to share with those folks who let you go but everybody else you used to work with folks you used to work with perhaps I'd be grateful if we could expand the audience a bit if you could share this show I I Believe it's helping you, otherwise you wouldn't be listening. Who else can it help? Who else ought to be listening to non-profit radio? Please share with them. And that's Tony's take two.
1: Kate. We've got boo-coop, but loads more time. Let's go back to a post-fellowship conversation with Amy Sample Ward.
0: This is all very interesting because... You can correct me if my perception is wrong, please yeah. do. My perception is that Europe is much further ahead of North America, forget the continent. Yeah. The United States in terms of data security, uh, there's the there's the GDPR in terms of holding uh Holding the large tech companies accountable, you know, suing. I see more lawsuits mm-hmm. and 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 successful either settlements or legal out mm-hmm. other legal outcomes against uh, uh Meta, Google. Yeah. I see more of those. I see. Yeah, I, see I think that there I think are, that there are the
2: I think there are far more um pieces in place in Europe, in the EU, okay. than there are in the US. I don't think that they are adequate or, you know, fully functional to the needs of communities okay. um, and okay. people. And there's still a lot of them that are in flux, you know, the EU AI policies are are still being shaped, even though they've been discussed as if like, here's what they'll do. And it's great that they're actually not done, you know, so yes, GDPR is in place. But um, there's, there's still a lot to be shaped. There's even more to be shaped in the US. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, sure. but yes.
0: All right. That that that's why I mean I'm I'm not hearing from you that there's an attitude of complacency, you know, we've 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 achieved. And I, I right. not, not that I not that I expected you to say that, but just recognizing that they are further along. Yeah. They're they're, they're they hold companies especially the I'm particularly interested in the company accountability.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, around data usage algorithms. Uh, forced you know f- uh forced uh usage like th- the way threads you have to be on instagram to use threads right you if you drop one you lose the other you know i don't yeah uh, that that rubs me that that to me is it's just unfair but yeah they uh, not not to that particular degree that that the eu has figured that out but generally they seem to be more demanding accountability
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of,
0: of the, of the big tech companies. Okay. Yes. All right. But, but not, but there's a lot more work to do. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there a, is there a, a story you can tell about some NGO or other, other organization or person that feels like, sure. wow. I mean, know, one we, that, we really one that I, um, we got something really good. Let me tell you about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. One that there's no resolution that I have to offer, but I think, you know, this, I want to acknowledge that this is, these are the questions I sit with all the time. This is what my work is around. And I'm not expecting every listener to be like, oh yeah, of course. Like nodding along with me. Like if this is your first time thinking about this, cause you spend your day on a different topic, that's totally fine. You know, welcome to a new,
0: welcome to a new conversation. Yeah. Welcome to join or just take away Listen.
2: from Yeah. So I was, I wanted to offer this because I think it's a, a way to root these ideas around sovereignty and freedom and safety in a real example. So we're not just thinking of like some future world and trying to root it there, but, but a way to think about it now. And, um, we had the opportunity because another fellow, um, while I was, who ended just maybe two weeks after I arrived, um, Kamal. He had created this um, big event and, and number of meetings and brought a delegation of folks from Tuvalu, uh, Island Nation in the Pacific. Um, and it was incredible to hear from them and to meet them. Um, but but really what's happening there and why they came is um, you know, island nations are, of course, on the front lines of climate change and the impacts of climate change. Um, as you are, we're recording this as you're hunkering down for, for a tropical storm, tropical you storm
0: know, on my beach. Yes,
2: yes. And what, uh, what came out while we were while while the delegation from Tuvalu was actually in Berlin was they were um, climate scientists have previously said their home, their land will be uh, uh, unsustainable for living um, for their community in this century. And that Hmm. has been updated because of the impacts of climate change and the acceleration of, you know, the world. Um, And they're now saying within potentially 20 years. And what does that mean Uh. for these people right these are these are real people these are people who are having babies and having jobs and having lives right um to not just have your world change because of climate change but literally have your homeland underwater completely go away the entire island could be underwater um so uh Part of the conversations um, with them have been freedom, safety, sovereignty in the internet for a community that cannot say here is our geographic home um, in the, in this where that we can live at least in that geographic home. Um, and so, how do we create a digital nation state? How do we digitize? Mm place based culture and artifacts and customs and dances and you know everything else that comes from who you are as, as, as a community. Um, how do we digitize it when we can now? And what does navigating social services? What does you know, traveling the world and getting a passport look like digitally? through digital governance uh delivery when you don't have you know an address in that country anymore um and it's kind of heartbreaking to of course think tuvalu is not the only uh island nation that will be facing this this um circumstance but but if you think of this happening in an in a matter of years, it is everyone's lifetime. It's not, you know, a century from now and you kind of like, oh, let it go. It won't be me, right? This this is us. We, yeah,
0: 20 years. Uh,
2: we, we are the ones that right. have to find the path for this, right? And so um, I think those conversations were really um, illuminating and I found it challenging to hear and witness, uh, you know, folks responding to say, to kind of think of all of the many pieces of this and say, well, where do you want to go live? But that's not the question. We're not, (laughs) that's not the, that's not the top of my question list, right? Um, It is how are you, the, the community members in Tuvalu, what things would you need? How would you support the digitization of your own culture of your own community? What, what can we do to build the internet that you need? Then how do we build it now so that we can, you know, like you want to, you want to build your new database before you migrate your data in, right? You don't just get rid of the old one and then figure out what to do with the database. It's the same. We need to build that safe and free and sovereign internet now so that we can support the citizens of Tuvalu existing in that internet before, the, before they, you know, don't have the the land of their home um and yeah just want to offer that as a example maybe a reminder that, that climate change is having immediate and real impacts on folks all around the world but mostly as an illustration of what it means to think about the future of the internet and the need for for the internet to work differently on a faster scale than like maybe when microsoft and google want it to be different you know mm-hmm.
0: And and so many of the nations, peoples, communities that are suffering most from climate change are contributing yes. nothing, uh, right. uh, to, contributing <laughs> de to to climate change. They're not right. they're not responsible at all. the The industrial nations are, which are more hardened and more yeah. capable and have greater infrastructure. And what are we doing? Yeah. To these other folks, and how can we help them to help themselves? I mean, yeah, you make me think of just like how they get a driver's license. Or
2: how do I vote?
0: Who, yeah. How do I vote in the next election w- right? when I don't? There's no polling place because there's no physical location anymore. Right. Jeez. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I, that's a that's a provocative that that's yeah. a provocative case. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank yeah. You. Um. What else what else do you want us to know about
2: well one thing i thought would be interesting to you to and and interested in maybe your take or observations like i'll off- offer a little reflection and interested in your in your hot take but i you know met with foundations while i was there and and asked about you know what's a big priority in philanthropy here what are the conversations and Folks named a challenge that I think we all have some feelings about in the U.S. as well, which is um, minimum spend out by foundations. In Germany, there's there is no minimum spend out, um, so there's many foundations that didn't spend any money, that did not give any grants in a in a certain year, and that organizations really feel the challenge of that because they don't. What what do we even do? Like, are we even you know <laughs> working with you? Are we trying to get money from you? Um, so that was a big issue. And the other big conversation that felt, and people named, you know, I think the US is more ahead of us on this, but um found some foundations starting to have conversations of, of general operating support instead of project specific, you know, funding um, and what that requires of them. You know, there was a lot of folks saying, like, but then what do we put in the grant agreement? What what do we expect for the reporting? And I was like, you know, me, I was like, why do they have to report, (laughs) you know, Um, but they weren't asking the questions of, you know, why don't we trust our grantees? Or um, why have we never done this until now? You know, they were asking very procedural questions like, well, what what's the form say, you know? Uh,
0: Yeah, the minimum spend. Um, I, 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 I like it. Uh, here in the U.S., uh, unfortunately, a lot of foundations consider the the floor to be the ceiling, so they'll spend <laughs> their they'll spend their five percent, and they met the they met the burden, yep. the regulation, and, and so they consider themselves completed. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. You know, I see a lot of I see a lot of conversations on LinkedIn about how things ought to be different, and and uh, you know, occasionally I'll I'll attend webinars where. Uh, some fa- you know foundation CEO panel. You know they're talking about what they're doing anecdotally mm-hmm. to, to overcome um, the, the the minimum spend being a ceiling and funding funding tech as just it, it just it belongs in everything. Right. I mean, if if the people are using Word and Excel, they're using technology in right. their work, and I I, I, ho- I hope. I hope there aren't many nonprofits that are still using index cards and you know dog-eared, <laughs> uh, you know written pencil spreadsheets like I like I used to do social research on yeah. in Carnegie Mellon in the in the late 1980s or early early 1980s 1984 I graduated so mm-hmm. uh, you know so but you know that's all anecdotal I mean yeah. somebody writes a lofty LinkedIn post you know I don't know I don't know whether it really hits home with the the majority of big you know the, the the biggest foundations that we could all name off the top of our heads
2: mm-hmm.
0: that that control you know access to probably 80 percent of the, the the foundation capital or something mm-hmm. you know
1: there's
0: probably 20 percent of the cap 20 percent of the non nonprofit foundations are holding 80 percent if you follow that 20 right. 80 right. 20 rule uh you know is, is that are those LinkedIn posts and those webinars you know are they trickling to the to those kinds of folks and are they actually you know are these real conversation are these heartfelt sentiments yeah a lot of times or you know is this um placating you know platitudes lofty lofty uh academic type conversations that that don't result in real change so you, you could sense my cynicism uh, well, know,
2: just... and I, I want to name also the piece that you said in there about technology. You know, I did ask funders, how are you funding technology? Do you have a, you know, tech capacity building portfolio? Is that something that you fund directly? Do you give every grant, you know, a line item for technology? You know, what what are you doing? And I didn't, there weren't many foundations that had a technology, you know, portfolio or focus or, or, or um, grant making space a lot of what I heard was, oh, well, you know, it's 2023, technology is in everything. So we just know that it's in all of our grants. I said, oh, okay. So it must be you have like a technology budget in every grant to support the tech. And they're like, well, no, because it's just, you know, part of doing their work. We know they're using technology, but it's just that. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. And I said, right. So if technology is part of everything, then it's nowhere. If it's everywhere, it's nowhere to you, yeah, you know, yeah. and we, you actually need to be providing the support for these organizations to give you this massive report on all of their data. You know, like,
0: yeah, you're saying you, you, you're saying, you know, that they use it. It's you, it's ubiquitous. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's free.
2: Right. Right. And the training it doesn't for just staff come, to you know? use it. Well is certainly not yeah. free, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. So I felt just as, you know, head against the wall as, as I normally just do.
0: Frustrated. Yeah. You didn't have to go to, you didn't have to go to the Bosch fellowship for that degree of frustration.
2: Exactly.
0: It saved the Bosch's a lot of money there. Um, no. All right. You know, so yeah, I don't have an answer. I just have, I have cynicism. I, I have a lot of questions, you know, yes. uh, is real change happening? Uh, is it better now in 2023 than it was in 2000? Yeah. I, I think we've progressed. But but not far enough, and right. and new issues are emerging. You know now there's right. on the where we're in the midst of just scratching the surface of artificial intelligence, and right. um you know your your co-author of Afua was on a panel with George Weiner and Beth mm-hmm. and Beth Cantor and Allison Fine, and you know we talked for sixty or seventy minutes about the implications, the risks the opportunities too you yeah. know but the inequities uh, right. you know so that, that that's emerging now so how are foundations reacting to that what right. are, are they reacting right you know it's it's a lot of times it, it feels like the the, the parallel or the analogy is that you know how slow government is to react to changes in in the culture in society yeah you know equivalently Foundations feel to me slow to react to what's on the ground among their grantees.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, you know, maybe as a closing thought, want to name that I don't think that even in an equitable world, it's a it's a world where nobody gets upset where harm doesn't exist. but it's a world where there's a path for accountability for that harm. Right. It's not that that perfect isn't real. Perfect doesn't exist. We're not going to go to some future equitable world where where nothing bad happens. You still fall, or you still you know get in a car accident, maybe, or you know whatever it might be. But but there's places to get care and reconciliation and support and restitution and all of these other pieces. Right. There's there's ways for us to be in relationship and work through things together. And I think there's, it came up in some of my conversations, you know, folks thinking like, I'm just so rosy-eyed, I'm going to get, oh, we're just going to have some perfect world, you know, and I think the way that you know you are free is when you have not been free, right? The way you know you are safe is because you have been unsafe. The way that you know that you are sovereign is because you had to say, hey, there's some accountability that needs to happen because you were not honoring the sovereignty, right? So, conflict is always going to exist as soon as there are two humans <laughs> you know there will always be conflict it's just finding a world where we we have the infrastructure and the mechanisms for us to manage that and and be safe and free and sovereign to, together in the world so as we think about how do we how do we fund for that world how do we build an internet for that world how do we pursue our nonprofit missions for that world. I think it's the same. It's both saying there will always be some needs and how many of them can we eliminate so that we are able to really be happy and fulfilled and and uh, supported. Um, so I think, yeah, I just wanted to name that I, I don't, I'm not looking for some perfect utopia that doesn't exist, but but a place where, I mean, how many communities today feel like something horrible Happen because of content on Facebook, and they have a way to do anything about that. I don't think a lot of communities feel like they have anything they can do about that, you know. Um, or, or you know, they experience threats or hate speech online. Do they feel like they have any way to to do something because they experience that? I don't. I don't know many communities who yeah. feel like they have a way to do that,
0: you know. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot wrapped up in that. There's the, obviously, um, you know, a, a lot of that comes from the just the inequities of of capital you know right. uh, if we bring it back to foundations and fund and grantees as long as the foundations 20% of the foundations control 80% of the of the capital that's available through private foundation funding to to nonprofits the nonprofits are always going to be at the at the beck and call of the of the of the grantors and right. if the grantors are slow to change then then the redress is slow Right. It's slow in coming. It's, right. it's inherent in the inequities of the the, the financial, the capitalization. Right. Um, you know, in, in terms of communities, you know, there's always, I mean, there's a legal redress, but a lot of these things that you just talked about, you know, the bullying and, and um, just a, a, a pr- oppression from technology companies. I mean, there's no, there's no real legal redress to that. There's, right. there's only, there's redress to specific wrongs. You know, right. they breached their contract. Right. Uh, this person committed—I uh, 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 don't know—the the a digital assault. I'm I'm calling that. Right. That's not the legal term, but committed a digital assault. So, all right. So, I have a cause of action, either criminal or civil. Right. You know, but but those causes of action are are narrow, and we're we're talking about bigger issues that right there aren't mechanisms for redress. Right. All right.
2: Thanks for having that conversation so unlike our usual ones.
0: Yes, I hope, appreciated the space yes, to get to
2: I, I, to cover I, I, lots of things.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's not always, you know, tactical about what to, you know, how to use uh, uh, GPT-4 Plus in, <laughs> in 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 you in your next fundraising campaign. Uh it's, it's it's not all about that. So I I think it's uh it's refreshing. Yeah. Actually, just talk about some things that are resolvable and- but for which resolution is slow in coming, uh difficult to achieve, but nonetheless nonetheless a lofty pursuit a right. a, a, a needed pursuit we, right we never give up
2: we never give and up. maybe some questions or ideas that you know folks listening could go apply to their own work that is about a different topic too. I would love to hear if folks do that, you know.
0: The little feedback I get from listeners, uh, which I'm not complaining about. I understand podcast listening is, is is an animal that isn't given much to feedback, at least at the level I'm on. Joe Rogan may get a lot of feedback, but, uh, you know, and and uh, the daily may. But in any case, uh, is that, you know, I, 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 I took this and I uh, brought it to my CEO or I brought yeah. it to my board. You know, we opened a conversation. Uh, I asked people to listen. I sent the link to the board. So that, yeah, those conversations happen. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Yes. Uh, A lot of space for a a different, uh, a different kind of conversation. Amy Sample Ward. They're the CEO of N10. They're our technology and social media contributor. If you want to be in touch with them, they're at amysampleward.org. And Amy at Amy R S ward. And uh, maybe we should add the Bosch Fellowship to your to your bio officially for next week. Yeah, time.
2: exactly, exactly.
1: Thank All you so much for having me, Tony.
0: My pleasure. Good to talk to you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
1: Next week, donor retention with Bloomerang CEO, Dennis Foix. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity? Donorbox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms. Oh. oh. I can't say it. I can't do it.
0: You can. Fundraising forms. See, it's a fabulous alliteration, but it's, uh, it's a little tough to say. I know. All right.
1: Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit. Donorbox.org. Woo! And by Keela. Grow revenue, engage donors, and increase efficiency with Keela, the fundraiser CRM. Visit Keela.co to join the thousands of fundraisers using Keela to exceed their goals.
0: Yes, fundraisers, not fundraisers. Okay, sorry.
1: <laughs> Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. I'm your associate producer, Kate Martinetti. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy, and this music is by Scott Stein.
0: Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with us next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Please go out and be great.